It's Wednesday night, and we are studying on the doctrine of predestination. I am beginning to see a broader picture of this than I've ever seen. I've been teaching on it for the first time I ever heard it was I was in the I was about 21 years old and a guy walked up to me in a church and quoted Romans 8 and 29 and I just about it about knocked me down I had never heard my Baptist preacher father ever teach on that or even mention it or read it and that's the verse that we're looking at I have preached only God knows how many messages on this I don't ever believe that I finish learning a subject. Let's read that in Romans 8 and 29. For whom he did foreknow. For is very important. For. That is a conjunction. And what you're doing, you're connecting verses that have been said or spoken before that with what's about to be said. For. For has to do with with the agonizing agonizomai is the word strive. Strive to enter into the straight gate. The Bible speaks of our of our agonizing right before this, and it's talking about we are groaning. Groan is a verb form of the word agon, agonizomai, or, or the word agon. We are groaning. Excuse me, I got the wrong word. Stenazo is the word groan. So I put the wrong word on the board. Stenazo. S-T-E-N-A-Z-O. Stenos is the word straight. Stenos, S-T-E-N-O-S. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way. This is over in Matthew, the 7th chapter, verses 13 and 14. Straight is the gate, stenos is the gate, gate. and right before this, the Bible is talking about groaning. Straight is the noun form of the word and the verb form is stenazo s-t-e-n-a-z-o and stenazo is the verb form of straight straight means to crowd through an arrow opening so that's what you're talking about here those words groan that we groan together uh, if you look back at verse 22 for we know that the whole creation groaneth Creation is not everybody that's a living. Only, the only people that are creation are the believers. The creation groaneth. You, everybody can't be groaning because that's the straight, the straight and narrow way. You eliminate that meaning everybody in the world. The rest of the world is in chaos. Stenazo means to groan. And that's a form of straight. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. That is the verb form of the noun thalipsis. And thalipsis 
is the common word every time you find the word tribulation. Acts 14.22, Paul said, after he was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra, he said, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. If you're not in a tribulation way for what you're preaching, you're in the wrong way. There's a narrow way and a broad way that leads to destruction, and many go into the broad way. There's only a few of us in the world that's believing the truth. Well, that takes you to groan over there in verse 23. Uh, we're groaning within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Adoption is one of my favorite words concerning this subject. U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. There is no, there is a diacritical mark. Diacritical mark is is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Excuse me, it's an H sound. It's a breathing sound. There are no H's in the Greek. There's only the diacritical mark. It's a breathing sound. Who, who, who are the sea? It sounds like W H. I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A. Huiothosia. It comes from huios, U-I-O-S, and the diacritical mark. And tithemai, T-I-T-H-E-M-I. Tithemai means to place. Huios is the word sons. It means to place sons. So only God can place sons in his kingdom. He quickens who he wills. Quicken, Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Quicken means to make, poeo, zoo. Zoo, you go to a zoo and see living animals. That is the word alive, to make alive. He quickens whom he wills. Let's get back to this. Then he gets on down there. In verse 26, these are groanings that cannot be uttered. That's the word stenogmos. It's a form of the word stenos. And then he says in verse 28, And we know that all the things that we're groaning over are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's very important to put the called because the call goes out to the world, but there is one specific call, and that's the call of God. And called is the word kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. The word church is the word ek, K-A-L-E-O, or ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It means called, ek, out. Get a word exit from that. Called out. Then he says, We know that all things work together for for good, not to everybody in the world. It works together for agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. There's two common words for good in the Bible. One is the word agathos, agathos. And the other is the word kalos. Unto him that knoweth to do good, kalos, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. That's the last verse of the fourth chapter of James. Agathos means beneficial. The only thing about agathos, there's 24 ways to spell it. 
not excuse me, not 24, 27 ways to spell agathos. You got masculine, feminine, neuter, gender under the singular, masculine, feminine, neuter, gender under the plural. Then you have the the cases, nominative, genitive, not to start with a J, genitive, dative, and accusative case. The nominative case is the predicate nominative or the direct or the or the subject of the sentence. Jim is the pastor. Pastor is the part of the predicate that's equal to the subject. And this is the subject, Jim. So, depending on where you are in the sentence, whether it, what gender it is, whether it's a table, which would be neuter gender, or feminine or masculine gender. And it depends on the case it's in. Genitive is shows possession, like baptism, of repentance, of repentance. And dative case is the indirect object, Accusative case is the direct object. Here's the difference in these two. Jim through John the ball. He did not throw John. He threw John. He threw the ball to John. John is the indirect object. Ball is the direct object that receives the action of the verb. So You've got ball, Jim through John the ball. This would be the direct object. So this would be the accusative, this would be the dative case, this would be the accusative case. All right. Now, so you got, then you have a vocative case in the singular with agathos. You don't have to learn all this all at once. It takes a long time to learn these things. Now, let's get on to what we've been talking about. All things work together to them that love God. You can't just say to somebody, do you love God? Yeah, I love God. Do you? That doesn't mean anything. This word has to come in view. Every time we see it, it is the word love. You've got two words that have been translated love. Agape. And phileo. Phileo means to have affection for. We get the word philos, which is also the word. It is the word. Philos is the word friend. You have the word philia, and there are derivatives of the word phileo. P-H-I-L-I-A these mean affection or to like something. You can like anything. Affection, you can like ice cream or like God or like your wife or like your dog. You can like drugs. You can like anything. But this word agape, those that love God, in verse 8 and 29, 8 and 28, excuse me, the Baptist churches I was raised in around, they all preached Every one of them will quote Romans 8 and 28. All of them. They have no idea what it's talking about. you got to define the words. Everything works together for good. 
talking of all that groaning, that straight gate and the narrow way that we're going through, all that that you are going through is for your good. If you get old enough, you'll know that. It's all working together for good. And then he says, to them that love God. That word agape, you can talk to Baptist preachers, especially Church of Christ, and they've got always got some program they call the agape program at their church. And they'll say, this is so we could help people. That's not what that's about. That word agape, if you want to really find out what it's about, I've got a 10-set volume of books. It's called Kittle's New Testament Greek Words. It's 10 volumes. They've got 34 pages on the word agape. 34 pages. They'll tell you what it meant among the rabbis. They'll tell you what it meant uh, in Old Testament times. And they'll tell you what it meant when the New Testament was written. It was a relationship. that fathers had for their family. Fathers for family. And kings had for their subjects. They gave them laws. They gave them laws when they loved their family and loved their subjects. And they caused their subjects or their family to walk in these laws. The Bible says in Second John 6, this is the best definition you can find in the world for agape. This is it right here. The Bible says this is agape. That. Agape is agape is now you won't get this from a preacher you got to get it out of some extensive research this is agape that we walk after his commandments I say I keep saying God's commandments are more are more than just the Ten Commandments over here. They're more than that. Every time Jesus or one of the apostles writes in an epistle an imperative mood, that is a command. When Jesus gives you a command, it's just as much of a command when he was God in the beginning and all things were made by him without him was not anything made that was made. The same Jesus that gives an imperative command it's just as much of a command when he said let there be light. Is the light going to say well I don't know give me an invitation to him let me walk down an aisle somewhere. The light will be won't it? So if he gives you an imperative mood, strive. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive agonizomai. That's an imperative imperative mood. 
He's not asking you if you would like to agonize. He's commanding every one of his predestinated elect family to get in the agon and agonize. That's not a choice. That's not your choice or my choice. If he's birthed us by his will, we will somewhere in our life, he'll put fire upon our lives till we come to a place and we say, Lord, forgive me for being the fool that I've been. Lord, I want to agonize. Here's the agon right here. Here it is. The agon was the arena at Rome where they put the people in. This is the agon. And they put them in there with the lions. They put a man there with the gladiators and they slaughtered him in there. That's the agon. He says, agonize. I'm not asking you if you want to. When you wrestle with this truth, the people that want the truth are very few. And every time they'll want to agonize. You're not alone in this. I agonize over things constantly. At my age, 80 years old, I don't want to do the things I wanted to do at 40 or 45 or 50. I'm changing constantly. And we have to be agonizing. When he says that, that's no choice on your part. When he says, any man after me, Luke 9:23, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take, deny, and follow are all imperative commands. Not, so, not something you may want to do. You've got to wait till you want to. God will fix your want to. Deny. Deny himself. Op or my. That's one of my favorite verses. Y'all know that. Op or my. It comes from the word arneomai, which means to contradict. Contradict. And apo means a complete contradiction. This is what's wrong with the NIV Bible. There's 6,500 words left out of the NIV. That's in the King James. King James comes from the Texas Receptus. The NIV comes to the West Cotton Hort text. And this verse, you know what the NIV says? If any man after me, let him A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I. You could contradict one time, but if you up or nail my, you can't do that one time. It has to be daily. And then he says... Take up, take a i r o. I'm sure we get the word a r r o w, which means to lift up in the air. We get an arrow from that, and then he says, "Follow me." I love the word "follow." I said that Sunday. I use this verse a lot. Follow. Every time you find the word "follow" in the New Testament. It's the word Aku, A-K-O-U, L-A-T-H-E-O. That's one of my favorite words right there because it has to do with striving, with groaning. It means to be. Now remember, these are commands from Jesus himself. That's him quoting this, saying this in Luke 9.23. To be in the same way with 
What way is he in? He's in the narrow way. And we are groaning and he's groaning. We're predestined to be like Jesus. That's what we're preordained to be, like him. When you're like Christ, I get up every day and go out and talk to somebody in public. Talk to my doctors, talk to my my cardiologist, my heart specialist. I've had two heart attacks. I'm trying to be careful. I ain't going to put myself under stress no more. I've even cut out the Sunday night teachings so I won't be under stress. Sunday nights were killing me. After I'd get through Sunday with a message like this and then try to come back Sunday night, it was wearing me out. So I'm going to adjust myself. I'm not going to be stressed out. I'm not going to be angry at anybody. I'm not angry at anybody, but I'm going to be plain. Seeing where we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech there in Second Corinthians three twelve. Plainness parhesia, p a r r h e s i a, means to be blunt to the point. Don't beat around the bush, but by the same token, don't be nasty and cutting and abrasive. Just tell people the truth. Say that's the truth if you want it. If you don't, that's fine. Now. The way that Jesus is in, that we are commanded to be in, is the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. It comes from thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. That's what Paul said. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And people don't like this tribulation way. I don't hear any preachers talking about it. I listen to radio all the time. I listen to preachers on TV And I'm sitting there going, no, no, no. I just want to shoot my, I'd be like Elvis when he used to shoot his TV. If I had a shotgun, I'd shoot my own TV. Get that guy off of there. I hear this crazy stuff. So, those that love God, love is walking in the commandments of God. Well, you can't be loving God unless he writes his commandments on fleshy tables of your heart in that third chapter of Second Corinthians. Unless he sheds abroad his love in the fifth chapter of Romans, unless he sheds his agape abroad in your heart, and who did he give his commandments to in the Old Testament? Somebody tell me. Israel. Israel. He gave them to Israel, didn't he? That's why he said, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Jacob have I given my commandments to. Who got them in the Old Testament? Jacob. His name was changed to Israel in Genesis, the 32nd chapter. He gave his commandments to Israel by the hand of Moses when he went up on the mountain there in that 19th chapter of Exodus and comes down with the commandments of God. He gave them to him. He gives them to us. So those that love God, be called... The church, God's predestinated elect family. Now, let's get on with this lesson. That's who he gave his commandments to. But he gave them to them. It's very important. I've seen something. It kind of goes along with what I've taught before. And he says in verse, Them that love God to them are the called according to his Prothesis before he's before laid it out. Prothesis purpose. 
thesis comes from the word tithomai. Tithomai before laid out the program that he's got for his family. Then he says, for, because of all this groaning, because he's doing this to his family, for whom he did foreknow. Prognosco. For whom? we got to put whom up there. Everybody wants to say God knew what. Well, certainly knew what because he ordained everything to be. He's declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, everything that's not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Nobody's going to stop me. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said when God put him on his all fours for seven times, I believe it was seven months, till his fingernails grew out like birds' claws and his hair grew out like eagles' feathers. He stood up on his feet and said, I know this, that God in heaven does everything that he wants to do. He said he sits in the heavens, he's done everything that he wants to do, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? We know that, I believe Nebuchadnezzar believed God. And I I believe that he knew who the Lord was. Now, for whom he did foreknow. Foreknow doesn't mean to know about. It was a whom. Whom is the word O-U-S with a diacritical mark. So it's actually, they'll spell it who's, but there are no H's in the alphabet. The H is always who. Who? Whom? Who's? It's masculine gender. Singular. There's a whom. There's a people that he foreknew. Whom he did? Prognosco. That's the people. The people... He foreknew, pro meaning before. Gnosko. We get our word prognosis from that. But doctors don't have a prognosis. Doctors have a prognosis. Because they're guessing what's wrong with you. They give you some pills and say, they're professional mechanics of the body. They say, try these pills. And if that don't work, come back Monday and we'll change your carburetor right that's what they say so before gnosko it means to know intimately beforehand the people he foreknew I love the verse over there in Matthew the 7th chapter Jesus is speaking of those people Matthew 7 where he says many are going to say Lord Lord haven't we prophesied in thy name thy name cast out devils Thy name done many wonderful works. He's going to say, depart from me. I never gnosko you. I never knew you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. You're not mine. The same thing as the Pharisees when they said in John 10. In John 10, they came to Jesus and said, if, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us parhesia. Be blunt with us. He said, I told you in John 8. You can't believe because you're not of my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice. They know me. They follow me. And I give my sheep. Notice possessive pronoun. My. I give my sheep. I own them before I give them eternal life. And then I give them eternal life. And I put faith in their heart. A lot of people resent predestination because they don't understand what it's about. There is none good, none understands, and there is none that seeks after God. And Romans, the third chapter, starting in verse 10. Nobody seeks God. If God doesn't come after himself a family, I don't, I don't doubt that a lot of people believe that don't understand predestination. But they don't understand there is nothing good in them to seek God. And if they are seeking God, if you're seeking God, you didn't conjure up faith in your own heart. You have nothing good in you to cause yourself to believe on God. If you're believing, it was God that put it in your heart. Faith is a gift from God. Now, whom he did foreknow, no, no beforehand. He also did predestinate predestinate is I'm seeing more and more about this every day of course I put this on the board before pro horizo uh, forget predestinated that's a bad word it's not even right because predestinate implies it implies predestiny and that's not the word whom he did for no they say well you people that believe in predestination, you believe that God predestined whoever he wanted to to be in heaven one day and they could live however they wanted to live. That's not what predestination is. That's not it at all. Pro means before. And there's that dear critical mark again. You'll always see it there when it's printed. And that's an H sound, H-O-R-I-Z-O, horizo. The Latins later on added an N to it. It means to predetermine for the boundary, the boundary and horizon is the light. Boy, that is so important. The fact that he's writing to the Roman Gentile church. They had a problem at Rome. They had a they had a battle going on between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. You can't understand the book of Romans unless you understand. They had a polemic situation. Polemic it sounds like a big word, but it's not. It comes from the word pole. Polemic. Polemic means there is a separation. You got a on a battery. You got two poles, and there's a separation. You have a plus and a minus. With the Earth, you got a north pole and a south pole. You had the Jews thinking they were better because God came to them first. And that's why Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, for we all, we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. They said Greek. They said Greek because the Greeks, the whole world, the Romans didn't have much culture. 
they they retained the Greek languages, the Greek customs, the Greek culture, even the Greek philosophies, and Paul used a lot of those to these Gentile churches. Won't go into that right now. So there's neither Jew nor Gentile is what that means. We're all one in Christ. And he's writing to a Roman church. Rome was in the dark in the Old Testament. They were actually in prison as Romans, as Gentiles. They were in the darkness. This is the all men that, when the Bible says God would, when Paul's writing to Timothy and he tells him, God will have all men be saved. Well, Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. Right here. Ephesus was a Gentile church. They had been in darkness. All Gentiles had been in darkness in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they had been in the dark from Adam until Jesus. They they had no truth. It's funny how all these things tie together. <laughs> I can just I can sit and tie them together all day long. When you get to, let me go over here to. Uh, when you get over here, all of the Mediterranean Sea area was. Let me go back over here. That's all the Mediterranean Sea area is where is where the Gentile beast system. It comes up out of the out of the sea. When it says the beast came up out of the sea, the beast was Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And it had its boundaries upon the Mediterranean Sea. First you had the the Assyrians between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And the Assyrians overthrew they were northern Babylon. They overthrew Babylon down here on the Euphrates River. Their capital was on the uh, was on the Tigris River. Uh, that's what Nineveh was, was their capital. It's right about where Baghdad is. And then the southern Babylon was down here, had their capital on the on the Euphrates River there at Babylon, the city of Babylon. And so you had Persia, which would be Afghanistan, uh, Iran, Iran, all of the stands would be Persia. Babylon would be Iraq. And then you had Assyria overthrew Babylon. Babylon was overthrown by Persia. And then Persia was overthrown by Greece. And Greece was subjugated by Rome. When I say subjugated... I mean, they were made subject to Rome. They actually didn't fight Greece. They were just so powerful. Greece, the Grecian generals, the four generals, submitted to their rule. Now, all this time, the Gentiles were in darkness. They were actually in prison. This, all of this goes with the fact that God tells Rome, God has predestined you for the light, 
for the light. You're a Roman Gentile church, and God's predetermined you for truth. And the light is equated with Jesus. He said, I'm the light of the world. And that's God has predetermined us for Jesus. And he's predestined us to do something. He didn't predestine us just to be in heaven one day. He's predestined us to, you can read that here, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed. This is not just some fatalistic thing. God preordained his people to be in heaven and they could live however they wanted to. People think that's what this means. Well, God's going to put uh, uh, put some righteous people. He's going to put John Calvin in hell and he's going to put Martin Luther in hell and he'll let some of these serial killers be in heaven one day. That's not what predestination's about. The people he foreknew, he's predestined... They would be to be conformed. To the image. That word to be conformed is the word sumorphos. S-U-M-M-O-R. P-H-O-S. It means to be shaped. Morphe. I learned this word morphe when I was in the 10th grade at Beaumont High School in about 1953, Mr. Silverberg, our biology teacher, said, I'm going to teach you about the metamorphosis of a grasshopper. Never forget that. Meta. Meta is a synonym for sum. Sum is stronger because it means to be blended together. Meta means to accompany Morphe, that means the metamorphosis of a grasshopper is the stages it goes through. It starts off as a nymph, a little small something, and then it sprouts some legs, grows longer, and that's its metamorphosis. Well, sumorphos, sum means to blend with. Who do we blend with? We blend with Christ. Morphe means to be shaped. We are predestined to be conformed. Predestined, placed inside the light that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And that word image is icon. Icon is our word I-C-O-N. An icon of the music business would be Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley. That would be an icon. It means a representative or to be like. God has predestined that we would be similar to Christ's image. And what was he like? Well, he was meek, prous, tame. He was poor in spirit, tokas. Poor in spirit means poured out, emptied out of self. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Sorrows, we have to be sorrowful. Sorrows and acquainted with grief. Am I grieved every day? I go out here to talk to people and I'll say something to them and go, that's interesting. I'll talk to my doctors. I'll say, did you know it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? Well, I've never heard that before. 
You mean you got doctor's degrees and all this medicine and you don't know nothing about that? No. So I'll say, would you like for me to tell you about it? We've been celebrating Christmas in America about 125 years. That's all. It's the Christ Mass. The Mass is eating human flesh. It's cannibalism. When Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Eat flesh and drink blood was an idiom. It was against God's law for the Jews to eat literal human flesh and drink blood. It was an idiom that to be to partake in a slaughter. And he turns around and tells us what he meant when he said that. He said, for my flesh is meat indeed. Indeed is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-S. It is a form of A-L-E-T-H-A-N-O. That is the word truth. Indeed means of truth. When you eat and drink of truth, you tell people the truth about Christmas and predestination, they'll get mad at you and want to crucify you. I believe predestination with all my heart because of what it's about. It's about responsibility and accountability. If we're going to be in the image of Christ and God's going to perform this whole thing, saved is the word sozo. Sozo mean, doesn't mean something you get one night. You don't get saved. Saved is the whole program. He that, Philippians 1 and 6, he that hath begun a good work in you, he starts it, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to put you through fire and trials and he ain't going to leave you alone. And you're going to groan and you're going to be in the narrow way. And boy, you're going to think, what in the world has happened to my life at about 40 or 45 years old? You say, what have I done? You had not done nothing. God is refining you in his fire. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Another favorite verse of mine in 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. This is not a strange event in your life. Strange is X-E-N-I-Z-O. It, it is a... It is a form of X-E-N-O-S, which means a stranger, an occasional guest. The fiery trial is not something strange. It is something that God requires in all of our lives as he saves us. You're not saved. When Jesus tells the woman there in Mark 10, thy faith has made thee whole. And then he turns around and said, Now go and be whole of thy plague. The problem with those two words, hold, they're two different words in the Greek. Her faith made her sozo, saved her. Now go and be hugius, H-U-G-I-S. Hugius means physically cleansed. We get our word hygiene from that. Physical cleansing. She wasn't saved because of her faith she was physically cleansed because you can't come in contact with a living God and that's who he was without him cleansing you I don't believe it there's no such thing as faith healing every time the Bible says thy faith has made thee whole it's the word sozo I pronounced it dz because that's the way it's pronounced dz sozo Now, 
let's continue further with this. We've been concentrating on concentrating on the very end of this very end of this. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image, the icon, the likeness of Jesus. You know what it takes to conform you to the likeness of Jesus? Fire and trials and tribulation and persecution. I didn't finish the verse a while ago. Think it not strange concerning the fire trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And he says in that that next to the last verse of First Peter, the fourth chapter, if the righteous scarcely be saved. I love that verse. Scarcely. Mogus. It's a form of molus, which means with great difficulty. When you're saved, you're saved through all this fire. People are making fun of you. They're laughing at you. With great difficulty. When we're going through tribulation and trials and we're agonizing over sin and people think there's something wrong with us, they say, that Jim Brown is crazy. I got a t-shirt that says, that Jim Brown on the back of it. Just in case somebody wants to say that. Here's what. There's my name, that Jim Brown. (laughs) If you define words for people, they get mad. Tell them Christmas is Christ's Mass. It was against the law to celebrate Christmas until the 1890s, 1900. And that's when America started celebrating Christmas. You'll never see George Washington with a Christmas tree in the background or at the White House. They didn't celebrate it then. Everything that we're talking about on the board has to do with Christmas. Everything. We're talking about the Gentiles coming to the light. Why did they come to the light? Because in the Old Testament, the Jews went into darkness. When you see darkness and light, you see darkness and light. I don't know how to do this without cutting through some of my notes. I'm going to have to, I may just stay on this subject. The Gentiles were in prison. They were in darkness. That's why when you see the word predestinate to the Romans, prohorizo, God has before determined that you Romans, Gentile, would come to the light. Why did they come to the light? It's because what Israel did in the Old Testament. All the time that they were a nation under kings, they first and second Samuel, they didn't get involved so much in the Baal and Grove worship, Samuel. First and second Samuel is the books of David and Saul. I call those David and Saul books. I've gone through first and second Samuel and extensively. And then when you get to first Kings, first and second Kings First and Second Chronicles. These books here are called the books of the kings. First and Second Chronicles. The Gentiles coming to the light. To light. 
Gentiles coming to the light has to do with what Israel got involved in while they were a nation under kings from 1 Samuel all the way to 2 Chronicles. Predestination is about what they did right there. It's about God turning away from the Jews, blinding their eyes, and sending his light to the Gentiles. He says that's what he's going to do. They are scattered after 510 years approximately under kings. The first king was God. And who was God? It was the I Am. And Jesus said in John, John 8, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Before Abraham was, I am. They said, You're not even. He said, I, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. They said, But you're not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? He said, Before Abraham was, I am. Boy, he was saying, I am the I am God. When Kenneth Copeland says Jesus never called himself God, he said it with an emphatic exclamation point there. I am the I am God. And they said, we'll kill you for that. And they took him stones to stone him and he walked into the crowd and he disappeared. His time was not yet. That's what the Bible would say. When his time came to be crucified, the Bible says he was in northern Israel and he turned his face to Jerusalem and said, it's time. So, while they were a nation under kings, they went after, they said, they did not like it when God said in Leviticus, the 25th chapter, you got to take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They, God says you have to take every seven years and have a sabbatical year. I believe this is the main reason they went after the other gods. Sabbatical year. And you have to leave the land alone. Yet everything that will grow of itself, you have to leave it for the poor and for the animals to forage in. They said, you're out of your mind. If you think, Moses, you think we're not going to plant our grounds for every seven years. And they went 490 years. And they never kept I believe David kept them. I believe there are certain kings that kept them. I believe Hezekiah kept them. I believe after Josiah found out the truth, I believe he kept them. The 490 years, they never kept sabbatical years. And their answer was, we'll go after these other gods, the gods of the heathen, Baal, Grove, Shemosh, Molech, Shemosh was the sun god of the of the what we call southern Jordan. That was the god. It's funny how Christmas ties right in with the Gentiles getting the light. The Jews turned away from God and went to the darkness. All went darkness is equated with no truth. And they said, we will give these gods, Shemash, Molech. Molech was the sun god 
of the what we call northern Jordan or the land of Ammon. It was the sun god. Well, they're right there next door to Israel, right here. So it bled over into Israel. And then Israel was serving the gods of Egypt. Venus, uh, Semiram, uh, I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, Isis, Osiris, Amun-Ra, and all these. They had thousands of gods. Israel was embracing all of them. Israel was embracing the gods of just north of Israel was the land of, of Lebanon and Syria up here. They were embracing the gods of Syria, Rimmon, which was a fertility god. And that's why God rejects Israel. It takes me a long time to go through this in detail. God rejected them and said, I'm going to send four judgments on you if you go after other gods. The fact that they did not keep their sabbatical years, that's more or less the main reason they went after these other gods. In the book of Hosea, the Bible says the people of Israel said, these gods, as they were committing spiritual adultery, idolatry was called spiritual adultery. And Hosea said, these were your lovers. These gods were. Not in a sense real lovers, but you're going after these gods, and they're the ones that have given us grain and oil. And God says, they didn't do that. I did that. You can't say that about them. And Hosea goes after northern Israel or Ephraim through the whole book, through his whole book. When you see Ephraim after Ephraim's dead, Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph. Joseph received the inheritance. There we are, back to what we're predestined to. Joseph received the inheritance of northern Israel actually of all of Israel and it was through his second born son Ephraim you can read about that in Genesis the 48th chapter where Jacob crossed his hands and put his right hand upon the head of Ephraim and Joseph Joseph had been ruling in Egypt and he is unfamiliar with the blessings of God he said not so my father Manasseh is my son even my firstborn firstborn that's what we're predestined to. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He be the firstborn. And, and boy, all of these scholars say, well, let's talk about Jesus. Well, it's talking about Jesus, but it's talking about us because the Bible says we are joint heirs with Christ in the 8th chapter of Romans. If we're joint heirs, the one who received the inheritance was the firstborn, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And all the brethren are all going to be firstborn. It's one seed, I said it last week. He saith not unto the seeds of, as of many. Galatians, the third chapter, quoting Genesis, the 15th chapter, where Jesus comes, where God comes, well, it probably was Jesus, comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a seed, and to thy seed. And he saith, and not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and thy seed, which is Christ. When we are born again, we're born with the seed of God. I said it last week, I do not mean to be crude, but when a man does has one emission, in a, the sexual act, he gives out like 
five to six hundred thousand seed. That's how we we all have the same seed, and we're all joint heirs with Christ, and we're the firstborn because the firstborn is the ones that had three things. They were the priest, the king, and they received the inheritance. And we, the Bible says, God hath made us, Revelation 1 and 6, he's made us kings and priests, hasn't he? What does a king do? A king pronounces righteous judgment. He says, look not at the outward appearance in John seven twenty four, but judge righteous judgment. And a priest offers ac- acceptable sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12 and 1, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Or I could comment on that a long time. The sacrifice we offer is our bodies a living sacrifice. We pronounce righteous judgment. And we're talking about the inheritance, which is, oh goodness, drinking the cup. Drinking cup. Jesus took the cup there at the last Passover. They were not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. Good grief, you preachers. They were eating the last Passover. What happened to it? God says, I change not in any of my judgments. Change, there in Malachi, the third chapter, is the word shona. It means to mutate or duplicate. If he's got a spiritual Passover, he's not duplicating or mutating it into crackers and grape juice. It astounds me. I don't know why preachers can't see this. I analyze everything I look at. I've been analyzing since I was a little kid. I just think of nothing but analyze all the facts. Put them together the way they belong. They were... There are four items at a Passover. There is a, a lamb without blemish. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Christ is our Passover lamb. So Christ is a Passover lamb. So the rest of the Passover has to be spiritual just like the first item is, doesn't it? And there were four cups... And the third cup of the Passover, the third cup had an official title. I didn't make it up. You can get this out of Alfred Edersheim's The Temple is Ministry and Services. I got a copy up here. The third cup of the Passover was called, it had an official title. It was called Cup of blessing now if if men would study something besides the bible i'm talking about study jewish writers like alfred edersheim they'll find out that there's much more to it than just reading an english version of the bible if you don't find out what the words mean find out the culture and the custom you don't have any 
Preachers don't know what's going on. My father didn't know what was going on. As a Baptist preacher, Billy Graham didn't know what was going on. They just don't know. And Cup of Blessing was the title for the third cup. Paul says those very words, the cup of blessing which we bless, 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Is it not the communion? Excuse me, it's verse 16. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? To drink blood was against God's law, but to drink blood meant to drink of truth, didn't it? So cup of blessing was the third cup. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. All you have to do is get your C volume on McClinic and Strong. Look up cup, and it'll tell you it meant to taste death. I don't know why I can see these things. I have ground the midnight oil. I feel like Dr. Roy Kemp said he was an old friend of mine. He said he told us he was a professor in a seminary. He said, I'll tell you what. They say, how do you know so much? He said, I'll tell you what you do. You go home and you burn the midnight oil for about 50 years and you'll be as smart as me. That's all it takes. You want to do that? If you don't want to do that, come here and sit down and I'll let out for you. I spent a lifetime studying this stuff. The preachers, preachers in the 21st century to me are a bunch of bums. Drawing some big salary, driving a big fancy car to go to the hospital and visit some sick people and get up and give somebody three points and a poem on Sunday morning. That's not the Bible. That's not teaching. I don't like these preachers. Y'all figure that out, hadn't you? They're worse than bank robbers. They are bank robbers. They are worse than bank robbers. They're worse than the mob. Kenneth Copeland brings in $170 million a year. Lives in an 18,000 square foot house with thousands of acres, thousands of cattle, and he stole it all from the poor. I don't mind saying that on TV and on the Internet. He is an out-and-out liar. What do you call a man that lies? Are you afraid to say those words? Do you call him a liar? Well, go ahead and say it, because that's what they're doing. Do you think he would understand this? Nah. And then they had they had bitter herbs, bitter herbs, bitter herbs, and they had unleavened bread. For seven days. And the Passover feast for seven days was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 17, We being many are one bread and one body, and leaven was the type of sin all through the Bible. And the morning of the Passover, they had to go in through the house, and they would go in there with a lamp and get down on the floor and look for leaven and when they found any they'd take it outside the house the morning of the Passover and burn it I got that out of Mr. Edersheim's Templeless Ministry and Services bitter herbs God says I'll make you drink wormwood when you're not following me wormwood we're familiar with that you can go down to the health food store and buy wormwood that's supposed to purify your blood. Be good for your blood. 
That was a bitter herb. That was with the Passover. When the Bible says, Jesus said, whoever I dip in the sop with, he's the one that'll betray me. The sop was the bitter herbs in the middle of the table. And they would dip. They ate with their hands. They picked up a piece of bread and dipped it in the sop, the bitter herbs. And I don't even understand why people won't. When you look at Matthew, the 26th chapter, Luke, uh, Mark, the, the 14th chapter, and Luke, the 22nd chapter, is talking about the last Passover. Look at one of them. Go over here to Luke and look at one of them. And this is something that all the preachers miss when they pass around crackers and grape juice. Over here in Luke, the 22nd chapter. This all has to do with the same subject. It has to do with Israel going after all these gods. That's why God scatters Israel, binds their eyes, and gives the message to the Gentiles or to or to the the spirits that were in prison in darkness. That's the spirits in prison. I've never heard anybody that had, were even close to the spirits in prison. Heard Pat Robertson, guys, a nimble brain. Great day in the morning. I saw him on TV one day, and some guy stood up with his some real tall guy, and looked very regal in his suit and he said brother pat did jesus go down to hell to preach to the spirits in prison pat started sweating bullets nobody wants to be asked that question i want to be asked i want to say no let me give you the spirits in prison all you gotta do is define the word prison and you'll figure it out i've never heard anybody define the word prison nobody Pat said, yes, Jesus went down to hell when he died. While he was gone, he went into hell and he told everybody in hell, everybody in the Old Testament, you can come out of hell if you want to. And a lot of them said, no, I like it in South Hell. I'm getting a tan. How dumb. Just nothing. All of this predestination to be conformed to prohorizo. It's going to take me several weeks. I can't preach on the spirits in prison in one night. But I can tell you what they are. Prohorizo. To predetermine for the light. And he tells that to a Roman Gentile church. That's what's amazing because Israel went after all these gods and he said, I will blind their eyes. I will extend the gospel to the Gentiles. Isaiah says all through his book, the Gentiles will come to the light. That is, that is what predestination is. Pro-Orizzo. The Gentiles are going to come to the Orizzo, to the horizon. And that's so amazing because the word forgiveness Prison is the word P-H-U-L-A-K-E. Fulake is the word Greek word prison. It means the division of day and night or light and darkness. 
I got so many more things to go on this. The Gentiles were in the darkness all through the Old Testament, from Adam until Jesus. God forbid any of the prophets to go to the Gentiles. Only once in a while he would make an exception, like Nebuchadnezzar, or like Ruth the Moabite, or Rahab the harlot. Once in a while he'd make an exception. Or Uriah the Hittite that loved David with all his heart. And David had him murdered. Boy, figure that out. And then he repented of it. So, means the division of dead and night are light and darkness. All you got to do is understand that. Light is truth. Darkness is no truth. This all goes along. (laughs) It amazes me. If you define words, you wouldn't be puzzled with all these things, you know? Would you? This goes along with bottomless pit. Doesn't it? The scorpions come out of the bottomless pit. Babylon came out of the bottomless pit. Satan is going to be thrown into the bottomless pit and forbidden from deceiving a set of people. It says the nations, nations, in Revelation, the 20th chapter, but nations is the same word as Gentiles. It's the word ethnos. Both of them are the word E-T-H-N-O-S. There's a 2,000-year period, not 1,000 years. It's not right. That's not even the translation. Don't have time to go into that. Sometimes I just want to stop and let everybody absorb what I'm saying. The word bottomless pit is the word A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Abusas. The Gentiles were in the dark. It has the same basic meaning as bottomless pit. Bottomless pit comes from the word bathos. Notice how all of this ties together. They come together like one picture. Bathos means something with great knowledge. That's the word used in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, speaking of the deep things of God. The deep things of God, it talks about God's great knowledge and intellect. When you place the Alpha in front of Bathos, as a negative particle, it translates Abusos, what they translated bottomless pit. That's a stupid translation. But you got to remember, half the translators are Roman Catholic. Bottomless pit. And actually means a place of no knowledge. That's the same thing all the Gentiles were in, in the Mediterranean area. Nobody had any knowledge of God except the Jews 
on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And they weren't allowed to have it until Acts 2, where God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh or all men. All men are all flesh. That's after he had blinded the eyes of the Jews and said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And the Holy Spirit is truth. On all flesh. Truth. John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. And he's going to give it to the Gentiles. The only reason we're here and I'm teaching right now is because the Jews went after all of these gods. You mean God wanted them to evidently. Romans eleven eleven says, Did the Gentiles stumble just to stumble? God forbid they stumble so salvation would come to the ethnos, the Gentiles. <sighs> Do y'all see this? It's really basic, simple when you define all the words. So what the Gentile, what Israel was doing, they were going after no knowledge. They were getting in the bottomless pit of all the Gentiles for 510 years because they didn't want to have a God that told them you have to leave the land alone every seven years. That's the main reason they went after these other gods. And that's the same thing that Constantine brought in the church in 325 A.D. and renamed Christ Mass. I know more about this than anybody I've ever heard talk. I have dug into this year after year, decade after decade. I never heard a preacher even knew this stuff. Now, John MacArthur said he knew that December the 25th was the birthday of Mithra, the chief sun god of Babylon. He said he was familiar with the feast of Saturn, the Saturnalia, from from December the 17th through the 24th. That was a festival they had in Rome because they thought the sun was burning out because on December the 21st, that was the longest nights of the year. That was the winter solstice. So they had to give the birthday to the unconquerable sun. And John knows about that, but he won't do anything about it because he will lose all of his constituents, the people that vote for him. He knows Christmas is pagan. And he said, I heard him say it on the radio. He said, I know all these things are true, however. Wait a minute, don't say however. Don't say but. We're going to use this season to glorify God. You mean you're going to use an old orgy to glorify God? It was an orgy in the ancient world. You can go into into Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion, look up origin, they'll tell you all about it. It's and that's why God went to the Gentiles. That's why he that's why he poured out of his spirit on all flesh. What do you mean in all men? What does that mean? All flesh means red flesh, yellow flesh, white black flesh brown flesh that means red yellow white black and brown flesh all men that's a word when Paul writes to Timothy he said Timothy particularly Timothy and said God would have all men be saved in the second chapter of 1 Timothy 
S-Y-N-E-C-D-O-C-H-E. Synecdoche means a part of something is the whole of something. When eight souls were saved in the ark, all men were saved. Everybody comes out of Noah and his three sons and their wives. So all men will be saved, but not every individual. People wrestle with that. And most predestinations don't even know what to do with all men or all flesh. You can't understand that unless you see that God's turning away from the one flesh and the one man, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And his 12 sons became the nation of Israel. And they started falling immediately. So God says, what we're going to do now, we're going to pour out my spirit on all men, all flesh, and all men will be saved, but not every individual. So, where was I? I was going to show you one thing that I boggles my mind about this last Passover. Everybody wants to say, what do they do about the sop, the bitter herbs there? That Jesus says, whoever I dip in the sop with, that's the one that's going to betray me. And that was Judas. The sop was the bitter herbs of the Passover. Jesus was the lamb. And we're the bread. Why are we the bread? Because Christ is in us. The Bible says the bread is his flesh, and the flesh is the bread, and the bread is the body, and the body is the church. In verse 7 of chapter 22 of Luke, Then came the day of the unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. What in the world does that mean? You're going to kill the day? <laughs> There's three titles for the Passover. Three things they call the Passover. They call the feast the Passover. Feast. They called the day, the tenth day, the the fourteenth day of the first month, Nisan, which is our month, March, April, Nisan, and that fourteenth day was the Passover, and Nisan is our month, March, April. That's the beginning of the feast as a Passover, and they called the day the they called the day the Passover. They called the feast the Passover. And they called the lamb the Passover. There were three things that had the title Passover. Well, did it come time to kill the day? Did it come time to kill... I don't know why nobody's ever seen this except me. I've never heard anybody talk about the spiritual Passover. Yet you got the spiritual Passover in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians. You got it in the 5th chapter of 1 Corinthians where Jesus is the Passover lamb. You got it in the 10th chapter where we being many are one bread and one body. And the cup of blessing is in the 10th chapter, verse 16. And you got it in the 12th chapter. You got it in the 11th chapter. I don't even have time to go into that. Why is it I can see that and they can't see it? The rituals were all blotted out when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2.14 Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Every ordinance was blotted out. 
And everything became spiritual when he was nailed to the cross. When they wanted to do away with one contract, start another. They would get the original witnesses to the contract. They acted out all their contracts, performed them. In real estate, I was in that for some years. We called a performance, we called executing a contract, we called it specific performance. That's an official word in real estate. They performed their contracts. And we, if we're going to perform a contract, Jesus performed it when he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Testament, boy, what a word. Diathike. Testament, it's not just uh, something you say. Testament, diathike means last will and testament. When does that occur? When is the force? When is the force? What is the force of a testament? After the death of the testator. Testator is the word memetes. It means a go-between. A go-between. Well, the testament is only good after the testator, which was Jesus, is dead. When he said the night of the Passover, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. He wasn't talking about the grape juice they were going to drink, and there was no leaven at the Passover. They could not have been drinking some intoxicating beverage. There was no leaven. That would have been against the law. They had to get that out of the house. Well, here's what the Bible says. So it came time to kill the Passover lamb. So not only did they have bread and grape juice there, they had a Passover lamb and bitter herbs, the sop. And look over here in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. How much time do I have, Mike? Eleven. I ain't going to get through this. I'm going to come back next week. We're going to resume this next week. I've got too many things to bring out. If I say something twice, please forgive me. I don't think you're getting the first time around. Are you? Not the first time around. I've spent decades on this subject. Decades. Look here in Hebrews. You know what I think is wrong with the church? All their rituals. They've been nailed to the cross. They would tell the two parties. They would say, is everybody ready? We're going to invalidate this old contract. They'd say, yes. Two witnesses, you were privy to the original contract, right? They'd say, yes. They'd sue two contracting parties. You're ready to invalidate the contract. They'd say, yes. They'd take a nail and drive it through the contract, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Colossians 2.14. It was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. There's no more rituals now. Baptized does not mean to dip in water or to immerse in water. How many times have I said that? A thousand Baptize 
B-A-P-T-I-Z-O. And BAPTO. When you look up baptize in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, that's not the only place I've studied it. Baptize means, baptizo means to cover. And it will tell you to see BAPTO in your concordance. BAPTO will say to stain with a dye. Baptize was not a verb in the Greek language. It just wasn't. It was a noun. It was actually a verbal noun. Mr. Strong will tell you that in the McClinic and Strong. He'll say, baptize was a verbal noun. Guess what that is? Can somebody tell me? You remember that was an in it was an infinitive. An infinitive is a verbal noun. It comes from the word infinite. When you're baptized, it is permanent. It's you're covered with a stain and dye, and he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And a blood baptism was a death. And Jesus tells James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He wasn't saying to either one of them the night before he died, he wouldn't say, can you be dipped in water? He was saying, can you die the death? They said yes, and he said, both of you will die the martyr's death. I don't know why nobody talks about a blood baptism. It astounds me. It What really gets me, nobody will deal with this right here. When John the Baptist in Matthew the third chapter says, I have a bapt, he says, I did indeed baptize with water, but there comes one after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now that had an exact meaning. That was a Stoic meaning. Stoicism was one of the most popular philosophies of the day. A man named Zeno started Stoicism around 320 B.C. So this saying, uh, spirit and fire, was a saying that Mr. Zeno said, spirit and fire. Spirit is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. It's the same word as ghost, Holy Ghost. I don't know why the translators give you two different words. Numa and Pur. And Mr. Zeno said, Jesus and John and the rest of them would use the sayings. Paul said, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I'm going to use the terminology of the people to help them see. Numa and Pur, Mr. Zeno said, all the universe was a cosmos. That is the word world in John 3.16. It doesn't mean people or globe. John 3.16. And God didn't love everybody. He so loved. That's an adverb. Adverbs tell how, when, where, and sometimes why. 
They modify verbs, adjectives, and other adverbs. It modifies or alters the verb loved, which is the word agape, which is walking in the commandments of God. And Mr. Zeno said that what gave this cosmos life was numa and purr that had been a common saying for hundreds of years and everybody listening to John the Baptist knew that what gets me here's what really gets me Jesus goes through his ministry that's in the third chapter of Matthew he goes through his ministry he's crucified by the Pharisees at the hands of the Romans crucified he resurrects from the dead he goes to northern Galilee meets with his apostles and tells them go into all the world and teach all nations teach all ethnos Gentiles and they were forbidden they were in darkness over here and now they're coming out of prison Go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them with John's baptism. You know that Holy Ghost and fire, my baptism? Forget that. You think Jesus was saying that? You think he's telling them to go dip people in water? No way. When he says that in Matthew, the 28th chapter, he said, baptizing them in. I preach on in from time to time. That word in is E-I-S, ice or ease, however you want to pronounce it. It means to sink into but don't come out of. Duh. I think that makes this a spiritual baptism of blood. Go to all the world, teach all nations, and be baptized with blood and baptize them in blood the ones that it takes on to be the predestinated elect of God I'm about to run out of time here Hebrews the ninth chapter talked about drinking of a cup was the testament the last will and testament verse 16 Hebrews 9 for where a testament is drinking the cup is a testament that's death to self there must also be of necessity be the death of the testator for a testament drinking the cup is not a force it's a force after men are dead so when Jesus said this cup is the new testament here you are about 10 or 11 o'clock on Thursday night and he says now when I'm dead I want you to drink the cup because he's not talking about drinking grape juice that's just the last they go into a spiritual cup of death to self I don't know why preachers can't see this if they studied their brains out they would so you're talking about a spiritual Passover and God is passing the spiritual Israel spiritual Israel to the Gentile church they are not all Israel which are of Israel the election hath obtained it and the rest were blinded we circumcision is not outwardly Paul said in Romans the second chapter it's of the heart a Jew is not outwardly but of the heart so we're in a spiritual Passover and God has extended this to the 
to the Gentiles, to the all flesh, or the all men, because God would have men of every nation, tongue, and tribe, and that will be God's predestinated elect. And we will conform to his likeness. People who don't believe in this don't really understand what predestination is about. It's about us being conformed to the likeness of Christ. I, am I out of time? I can't say much more. I've got a whole bunch more to say. I want you to understand. I'm going to go through Isaiah one more time. Isaiah is talking about the Gentiles coming to the light, and he actually uses the word prison. He says they're in the prison house. They're in prison in Isaiah, the 42nd chapter. They were in darkness. I I don't have time to go any further. I'm going to have to take you over to 1 Peter, that third chapter, how Christ preached to the spirits in prison, those that were in darkness, and he used the resurrection to do it. I'm just, I'm out of time. I, I got a whole slew of notes here I want to bring out to you, but I can't preach on this one time. I can't just give you everything in one message. I'll come back next week. We'll go through more of this. To me, this is wonderful to see the truth. It is magnificent for God to let us see it. And the world doesn't even want it. We know what we think about the spirits of prison. I had one preacher get up in this town. He said, I don't know nothing about the spirits of prison, but I'm going to see if I can't wait out into it. That's what you need. Go down to the Mississippi River with a non-swimmer and let him take you out there and teach you to swim. What ignorance. I couldn't believe the guy was saying, I'm going, what? I don't know anything about it, but we're going to wait in it. With this torrential, it's all about the Gentiles coming to the light. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for truth. What a magnificent God you are to let us see these things. God, I pray that you'll lead this ministry where we can reach the world. We're reaching people as you see fit on the internet and through the TV, Lord. Help us. I don't know what else to do but what I'm doing. Open every door possible. Will you praise for everything? Fight our battles for us. Lead us to your elect family. In Christ's name we pray, man. Boy, that was a lot of stuff, wasn't it? Brother Dave, how you doing? Probably see you over at the house tomorrow. Okay, I'll be there. I called Brian today. Did you? Yeah, he's going to check out the least access channel to make sure we're on. And um, we're going to try to get on that public access station if it's still up and running in um, Pittsburgh. Well, just tell him next time you talk to him, say, this takes a long time to get yeah, something. He didn't mention anything about getting his own thing going. I just...